Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, here talking Mariners today with Bill Mitchell. And Bill, when you started writing uh, this chapter for the handbook, the Mariners were the last ranked farm system in baseball. They were going to have a new number one in Evan White, who's a very good prospect, but not a top 100 guy or, or a, a cusp top 100 guy, not a, a number one caliber prospect in a lot of other systems. Since you started writing and, and really turned in your first draft, uh, Jerry Depoto has made a lot of offseason trades as per usual, but they've gone the other way. They've been to tear the Mariners down, reinforce the system, play for 2021-2022. They've added Justice Sheffield. They've added Jared Kalanick. They've added Justin Dunn. Uh, those are the headliners. They've added some guys uh, beyond them as well. Now when you look at the Mariners' system, Bill, how you know you've had a good look at this group for a long time. Uh, you've done the chapter for us for a couple of years. You're there at the complex in Peoria. You've seen, you know, that there's a a guy or, or two that's interesting, but beyond that, it's been pretty empty. Now they've got you know four, five, six guys that are you know really something combined with some of their international signings from a year ago. Um, just how much? has the Mariners system improved from your vantage point by adding the players they did? Well, obviously it's improved considerably. Uh, last year when I was doing, it was the first year I was doing the Mariners report, and I called it being on Jerry's wild ride because from the time I started the process until we finalized everything, uh, the Mariners traded away five of my proposed top ten picks. I feel this year I'm on Jerry's wild ride again, but it's going the opposite direction now. It's going the, the direction of adding prospects. I think even before the trades, I thought the system looked a little bit better than the year before. There were still a lot of roll 40 type of players at the back end, just like the year before. But what I saw was some interesting international talent coming up that will be coming up from the Dominican Summer League this summer and either coming to the Arizona league or to the Northwest League, wherever they wind up. So I thought before the trades, it was marginally better. It was still the obviously the number 30 system in, in all baseball. But now with all these trades, uh, and I don't, I'm not familiar enough with uh, a lot of the other organizations, uh, I have to think they're not 30 anymore. No, uh, that's a very, very fair assessment. You know, the flip side to this is, at the end of the day, what matters is the Major League success and building a farm system is an avenue towards that. The Mariners did win 89 games last year. It's not like this was a 75-win team where it all fell apart. They won 89 games. They were in the hunt for a while. Uh, their lack of pitching depth, which we had, you know, was in part because they traded so many pitching prospects in previous years, did catch up to them. There's going to be a step back, and I think the question all Mariners fans want to know is, is the step back from, you know, being semi-competitive. Look, they were in the wild card hunt until the end, really, two of the last three years. Now they're stepping back. The prospect talent that they've added, will it make it worth it? And I know there's no definitive answers. We won't know that answer for two, three, four years at, at the least. But just in your eyes and your assessment, how much has that jump in the system you know, justified the fact that, hey, they're going to take a step back here from competitiveness to probably middle of the pack and, and likely worse. From the standpoint of the fact that their system really was down to the bare bones coming into this offseason, uh, and they maybe overachieved a little bit during the season. They got surprising seasons 
from Marco Gonzalez and Wade LeBlanc that helped reinforce their pitching, but you didn't have the foundation there. I think now they have more of a foundation. And just from my view from the outside, I think it's worth that, uh, adding talent like Sheffield and Kelnick and Dunn, and again, adding the international talent that they'll have coming up, which is probably four or five years away, but still, there's there's something you can the Mariners fans can dream on a little bit now. It is true. That 89 wins did feel a little bit like they were scraping for it. Again, 89 wins is 89 wins, and it was a, it was a good season. Um, but obviously, you know, when they needed that little extra something to get them over the top, you know, we saw teams like, you know, what was the Brewers or the Dodgers even, you know, teams that could dip down into their system and, and bring guys up to help them. Uh, the Mariners were a little short on that front. Now that they've taken this step back uh, and they've reinforced the system, again, Evan White was set to be number one in this system, uh, a good prospect, and I actually want to start with him. Uh, he was someone that really impressed me watching him for Team USA a couple years ago on that team with Brendan McKay and Seth Beer and, and a lot of other big names. He really stood out. Uh, Keston Hura as well was on that team. And then I saw him again in Modesto this year, and it was interesting because I think people looking just on the outside would say, First baseman with no power because he hit, you know, single-digit home runs early, early uh, in the season. But I saw a guy who was consistently squaring balls up, consistently hitting them hard, plus runner, playing really good defense. And then at the end of the year, he made a little, you know, approach adjustment, started hunting for some of those pitches he could elevate in the inner half, and the home run explosion happened. I do think Evan White is a legitimately good prospect that I think some people wrote off because they just looked at the stat line. You know, we have him as an above-average potential everyday player at the major league level. Uh, and just in your calls with scouts uh, during this offseason, what was the general feedback you got on him and, and the impressions of, of Evan White as a prospect as a whole? Well, I'm high on Evan White, and especially after getting to see him quite often during the Arizona Fall League, and also meeting him, talking to him, seeing a little bit of what uh, his thought process is and uh, his, the approach he takes to the game. Uh, that's why I'm high. And I know I was questioned uh, at one point, uh, should Logan Gilbert be the number one pick? And I said, no, there's no doubt about it. At, at that point, and where the system was, it, that it was Evan White. Uh, he's, uh, he's going to be a gold-glove first baseman, uh, Think of Cody Ballinger as someone who is athletic enough to play outfield, yet is so good at first base, you don't want to move him off there. But it gives, in this day and age of needing added flexibility, White gives you that. Uh, the improvements he made from at the plate, uh, and even before that, the Mariners felt that this power would eventually come because of good exit velocities he was getting. And that once he got a little more loft in the swing, uh, that the home runs would start to fly. And that did happen towards the end of the season in, in the Cal League. You don't want to go much on Fall League stats, but he hit a couple home runs in the Fall League, too. Uh, drove some balls opposite field. I know one game I was watching, he, I thought it was, it was going to go out. He hit it opposite field, uh, dead right field, and it went right to the warning track. So I think uh, he, he's somebody, you, another, I hate to use the term, dream on, but it's somebody that Mariners can dream on, and he's coming pretty quickly. Yeah, no, he's, he's a very good player. We've talked about the Mariners have really struggled to fill that first base hole for years now. And because they've kept trying to fill it, 
They've traded away a lot, a lot of players. Obviously, they tried to fill with Adam Lind. It cost them Freddy Peralta. They've brought in Danny Valencia. They brought in Yonder Alonso. They brought in Ryan Healy. They just keep bringing in new veteran after new veteran after new veteran, and none of them have really been able to stake their claim. Uh, at least for me, there's no question in my mind that Evan White will be that that everyday first baseman they're they're hoping for. Obviously, things can change, and that jump from high to double A is often the biggest jump. Uh, but you mentioned you see the athleticism, you see the ability to hit the ball hard to all fields, you see a mature approach, you see elite, elite defense. Uh, I, I do think this is a guy, and me personally, I would have him in the top 100. I know you would as well. Uh, some of our, our colleagues disagree, but um, either way, even if you think he's not a top 100, you acknowledge he's close, and, and I think he's a really good player, and I know you do too. That all said, as much as we both like him a lot, Justice Sheffield was a slam dunk top 50 prospect in baseball. Uh, the Yankees made him the centerpiece of, the, of their uh, acquisition for James Paxton. You discussed Sheffield with Mariners Brass after the trade. What were the biggest things they emphasized to you, Bill, just about why they wanted Sheffield and what they think he can bring them? I did uh, confirm that yeah, Sheffield's number one in the organization. So... Uh, you know, it's a good young arm. It's uh, good velocity from the left side, and he's he could fit into their rotation this year, perhaps. Yeah, it's interesting because he went to the Futures game, showed 97 from the left side. Uh, there's obviously things to work on, like every young pitcher, you know, command, sharpening secondaries. But uh, the Mariners, you know, we we mentioned have not really had pitching depth before, now they have that guy they can bring up from the minors and, and potentially be an impact guy as opposed to, you know, they've relied on a lot of filler types, Rob Whalen, Max Povsey, Chase DeYoung, you know, guys like that. This is a potential impact arm. Uh, you mentioned next year is, is a possible debut. Generally speaking, a, a number three starter is what's been seen on him. Um, overall, That's where I would put him, yes, definitely. Number two prospect now is, is, is interesting because they obviously moved out Robinson Cano, got out from under that contract. In order to do so, they sold uh, high on Edwin Diaz. Uh, you know, Diaz may be able to replicate this insane season he had. Even if he doesn't, he's still a top-tier closer. Uh, but at the same time, the Mariners looking at where they were, understanding that a great closer might not do much for them if this is the route they're willing to go. Kellenick was the first-round pick this year, sixth overall, top-ranked high school hitter in the class, uh, slides into number two in this system. He, I feel like he does bring the Mariners something that they lacked, which was that dynamic, offensive, you know, player. And again, we talk about Evan White, you know, good hitter, but there's a sense that Kellenick might be able to be, you know, I don't want to say a cornerstone bat, but a potential all-star level player who produces offensively. Uh, just what does the addition of, of a talent like Kellenick to this system do, given where it was? As you said, he could be a cornerstone player, and that's something they were really lacking in before. Uh, and a guy who's just played rookie ball, it's hard to really put that label on, but he was drafted six overall. I think he said six overall, yes. Six overall for a reason. And he, he could be that all-star caliber player. Uh, that they were lacking near the top of their system. All of a sudden, you know, you, you pencil out the Mariners, you know, future lineup, and all of a sudden, you know, there was a time where stretching out, God, who's going to be, you know, filling this spot in 2022? 
it was hard to really map that out. Now you see an outfield, they've acquired Malik Smith, Mitch Hanniger is still in his 20s, they've added Jared Kalanick, Kyle Lewis is still around. You mentioned that foundation. There's now starting to be more and more options for different spots down the road as opposed to, man, we only have one guy, and if he gets hurt or doesn't work out, there's nothing behind him. Oh, it's interesting you mentioned that because I was fucking around with the projected 2022 lineup, and all of a sudden I realized I had too many outfielders. I had uh, Hanniker, Smith, Kalanick, Lewis. So uh, just in starting a draft of it, I put plugged Lewis in as DH just to get him in there. But uh, certainly that's a nice problem to have. And, of course, we still don't know what's going to happen. Is Mitch Hanniker going to be traded? But still, for now, at least it's a nice problem to have to have four really premier outfield prospects. or out, They're not all prospects. Hanniker is. And then Smith. But to have enough prospects to fill out that lineup. You know, we mentioned that we brought in these two new guys at the top, Justice Sheffield and Jared Kalanick. Last night, they finalized the trade, sending Gene Segura to Philadelphia. And Segura has you know, been one of my favorites for a while. You know, Fun fact, I wrote in the trade write-up, he's the only Major League shortstop to hit 300 with double-digit home runs each of the last three seasons. This is a, a truly special offensive talent that I don't think gets credited enough. Um, but at the same time, the Mariners made the move. And they brought in J.P. Crawford, who, if he was still prospect eligible, you know, when he was, he was consistently ranked in the top five of, of a solid Philly system. Uh, he'd spent some time in the top 20 prospects in baseball. He really struggled at AAA, got to the majors last year, and the one thing that was supposed to be you know, what would be steady, his defense, was not. He made eight errors in 30 games. Uh, those eight errors were sixth most of any shortstop in the major leagues, and everyone else above him was playing you know, at least twice as many games. Most of them were everyday starters playing 100-plus. So all of a sudden, the defense isn't as reliable as before. There's still some offensive shortcomings. He went up and hit, he's hit 214 in the big leagues. Given what we know about J.P. Crawford right now and just the struggles he's had, if he were still prospect eligible, would he still slot into the top five of, of this Mariner system? I believe he would. You have to look at the fact that he struggled with a lot of injuries in the past year. And I really didn't see much of J.P. Crawford during the year. Uh, so, uh, And I obviously haven't done a lot of research on him because uh, we're not slotting him in. But you have to look at the pedigree he had and the fact that uh, only two years ago he was a top 10 or top 20 prospect. And he's still only 23, had some, a lot of injuries in 2018. So while we, he's not a prospect from the standpoint of our ranking, he still really is a prospect. And for them to add another premier prospect, even though there's some warts on him now and you know, we're maybe getting a little prospect fatigue with him, uh, he is a legitimate young talent that uh, maybe can be a cornerstone of the future and using that word cornerstone again maybe he can be a cornerstone of the future for them fun thought exercise where would you slot in jp crawford uh if he were still prospect eligible well that's a good question i hadn't even thought of that other than i uh figured he'd probably still be top five in the organization i would imagine sheffield one maybe right behind Okay. Yeah, right behind White, perhaps, or White or Dunn, right behind those two. 
Yeah, you know, you mentioned obviously Justin Dunn. If you count J.P. Crawford in here, uh, you know, that would be four of, of the Mariners' top five prospects being guys they, they just acquired in trades, although we mentioned Crawford not being eligible. Um, I do want to get into some of the guys they did have, and, and you had ranked pretty highly coming in. Julio Rodriguez was their big international signing a few years ago. He was in the top five of this system until all these trades took place. Again, long way away, still a teenager, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, making the adjustment to, to stateside ball. But what do the Mariners think they have here in Julio Rodriguez? They think they have a star caliber player. And how our grades come out at the end when we are done looking at future grades, at least one pass, I put a 65 future, which is higher than anyone else, any other grade I have on anyone in the organization. Now, we still need to debate those and determine that, but I believe that's the kind of upside that he has. Not many people have gotten to see him yet. He's yet to play a game in the States. Uh, Mariners don't do instructional league. Uh, I did see him out on the field working out, uh, met him, Seems like a good, solid kid. Uh, I could see him moving pretty quickly. He'll be he'll be coming in for spring training. He didn't come for spring training last year. They kept him in the Dominican, which is why nobody's seen him uh, outside of you know in games much outside of the Dominican Republic. But uh, he's uh, to use a well worn phrase, the sky's the limit with him. Uh, his tools have played up since. Uh, uh, his early days of doing doing the showcase circuit in the Dominican Republic, uh, he now has a 70-grade arm, which was not uh, like that when back when Ben Badler was seeing him in the Dominican. Uh, he's got some of the best raw power in the organization, but what comes with Julio Rodriguez is a feel for hitting. He's a smart hitter for someone his age. He played at 17 this year in the Dominican Summer League. Uh, he controls his own. Uh, can make adjustments at the plate, uh, real good bat path through the zone. That's what uh, is most interesting about him because that's you, you don't get those kind of traits often with a young Latin, uh, international player. Uh, you don't get that kind of refinement. And he's I could see him moving quickly. I don't think they'd put him in full season ball coming out of spring training, uh, but I could see him getting to low A before the end of the year. Uh, and maybe starting out the year in the Northwest League, depending on how he lo- looks in spring training and extended spring. I'm eager to see him play. Yeah, I, I mean, I think what's probably as exciting as anything is you mentioned the tools are all there, but again, it's only the DSL, but the production was huge. Uh, everything, you know, his skills have shown up in games. They're visible out on the practice fields. You know, not to, you know, throw this word around lightly, but you mentioned, you know, you had the highest uh, potential grade on him of anyone in the system. You know, the buzzword cornerstone guy, all of a sudden the Mariners go from, well, maybe we have one guy who's in the DSL and is five, six years away um, being a potential cornerstone to now Sheffield can be a, 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 you know, a nice rotation piece for years to come. Kellenic potentially as well. You add Rodriguez into this and you start to see the Mariners building that, that more solid foundation, as you mentioned, as opposed to... Uh, maybe you know not having that extra piece to get them over the top at the major league level. You know, the last couple of years they they've struggled to find that one guy to go and help them out because it's been pretty shallow. Outside of Rodriguez, another outfielder, and you mentioned him a little bit earlier, is Kyle Lewis, who at one time was considered a potential cornerstone player, Baseball America's College Player of the Year. Tore up his knee on a freak play at the plate. 
has had multiple stops and starts. Did come back last year. It was not a great season for him on paper. Scouts still saw a potential starter, but it was more of the second division variety. Uh, just what was your overall feedback on, on Kyle Lewis and where he's at and if, you know, the first step quickness and whatnot have returned? The biggest thing is uh, we still weren't seeing the explosion at the plate uh, from him, and that still may be related to the knee. Uh, and I know how hard Kyle works, the condition he keeps himself in. I was at the Mariners Complex a few weeks ago. I saw him working out, and he looks in great shape. Let's see how the knee looks this year. Uh, maybe uh, I think there were, he started late last year. Uh, they held him back in extended spring training. So uh, I want to see how he looks in a full season now, another year removed from that knee injury. Uh, yeah, the athleticism is still there. He did lose a little bit of speed. One of the comments that I got on Kyle was that he was so eager to get back in there. It was like he was trying to make up for lost time on every at-bat and getting too anxious at the plate, uh, uh, got out of his routine too often. So let's see him come into spring training healthy, playing just a full season uh, without uh, any downtime, and you know, that, then we'll evaluate him. But you know, he's still, we still have him top 10. We still have him rated high. We see him as a future in the Mariners organization, uh, but I just want to see a full season healthy and uh, everything clicking right for him in the right rhythm and uh, just uh, swinging the bat like he used to. Yeah, you know, I, I got a look at Kyle uh, this summer as well, and one of the things that jumped out to me immediately was, you know, I saw him make a diving play in center field. He ran around out there fine. So in that sense, it was like, hey, you know, the speed's back, the knee is healthy, but you mentioned at the plate. Uh, that's you're right. It was very visible that some of that level, same level of explosiveness was not there. Um, saw him kind of trying to cheat on some pitches, and it resulted in him being out in front over some breaking balls that that he, you know, a college guy playing high competition should not have been that out in front on. And then they moved him up to Double A. The offense still was was not quite where it needed to be. Just overall, because the biggest selling point with Kyle Lewis was always, hey, potential above-average hitter with plus power. Uh, do evaluators still see that potential, or is it dropped down a little bit to more average and above-average or even lower? From a batting standpoint, we're looking at probably more major league average hitter, but still with the plus power. Uh, the speed uh, we talked about has dropped a little bit. Uh, uh, but the defense and arm are still there. So yeah, maybe he's not the full package of five-plus tools, that, uh, that, uh, or at least five above-average tools that he used to be, but I still think there's, there's something there. Absolutely. Two recent draft picks, uh, you know, Logan Gilbert, their first-round pick, was obviously a cinch to get into the top ten. Uh, but their second and third rounders, Josh Stowers and Cal Raleigh, even with the additions of White, or excuse me, with the additions of Sheffield and Kellenick and Dunn, Stowers and Raleigh still end up in the Mariners' top 10. What was it about these two uh, collegians, Stowers, an outfielder from Louisville, and, and Raleigh, a catcher from Florida State, that had the Mariners so high on them uh, ahead of some other guys who are maybe further up and, and have you know done well for themselves, such as the Braden Bishops of the world? Well, Stowers is going to hit. Uh, that's the general consensus. Uh, he hit well in college, uh, hit well on his pro debut. He gets on base. He has a good approach at the plate. 
it, it's going to be the bat that's going to carry him. Uh, it's it's a plus hit tool, and he's got a real good batting eye. Um, the question is, can he stay in center field? He's fast enough. He's a plus runner, but he uh, there's still questions about him. He needs to improve his, his jumps and reads in the outfield. Uh, so that's a big question. If he can't handle center field at the big league level, then he's a left fielder, and then the bat's really going to have to play. So that's a big question with Stowers is can he stay in center field? Uh, as far as Raleigh, well, he's a switch hitting catcher with power. Uh, his defense was, uh, they were surprised with his defense when he got into the Mariners system. Uh, it was uh, much better than they expected. Uh, in fact, even better than in college. So a switch hitting, power hitting catcher who can catch, uh, that's a, a good commodity to have. Absolutely. With the trades, with the international signings, with a recent draft that the Mariners did get positive early returns on, uh, you know, Stowers and Raleigh both both went out and did some good things in their pro debuts. You mentioned having that better foundation. Just as we wrap up here, how long do you think it'll be before the Mariners are, are back in and in contention to end what is now the longest playoff drought in North American sports? It's hard to project because we don't know what Jerry's next move is going to be uh, or what he's going to do next year or what he's going to do the year after. I think you're looking at uh, reasonably two to three years to get back into contending for the playoffs again. You think it can be that soon, two to three, as opposed to, you know, four to five? Generally speaking, you know, we did this before uh, – before last season, I looked into it and found that teams that do a complete and total teardown, it's normally about a five-year window. You think the Mariners can, can be a little faster? Possibly because one thing they're doing is, yes, they're tearing down, but they're, getting, they're going for more close to major league-ready talent, uh, acquiring Sheffield, who has already had a few innings in the big leagues, could be in the big leagues this year. Uh, they also got Eric Swanson in that deal, and he's, he could be in the big leagues this next year. Uh, so they haven't gone. Uh, Kelnick, yes, he was uh, out of rookie ball, but he's going to move fast quickly. Dunn could be in the big leagues by next year. So I think they've taken an approach uh, where they didn't want to tear down for four or five years. So, And maybe two or three was a little optimistic. Maybe we should say three to four. We'll settle on that one. How's that, Kyle? Three to four years they could be ready. That works, and I think uh, obviously it's been a long, long time since the Mariners have experienced the playoffs, and I'm sure their fans are anxious. And uh, but we'll see. You know, if they can pull it off in two to three, that would certainly be a, a pleasant turnaround. And uh, as you mentioned, with Jerry Depoto at the helm, more moves are always in the cards, and uh, we'll see what happens. Bill, thank you so much for uh, taking care of the Mariners system for us again this year. Uh, it's constantly moving, as you know, and, and one of the more stressful systems to do, but. Uh, at the end of the day, it keep, keeps us on our toes. Yes, it does. It's a good stress to have. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, everyone. Well, for Bill Mitchell, I'm Kyle Glazer. We'll have more Prospect podcasts coming to you. Keep it here at Baseball America. Thanks for listening, everybody.